In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God. Let me share with you first a very famous verse. I'm sure that you heard it before many times. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Can you open your Bibles if it's not in the screen? Sorry. So St. Paul tell, <coughs> tells us, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So St. Paul is telling us what we are going through every day in our life is not something new. Many saints, many witnesses, have been through it before, and all of them were victorious. So we need to relate to them. We need to focus on their faith and to see what they received in them. I'm sure in our liturgy, or any Orthodox liturgy, we use a lot of the intercession of the saints. And we have heard many debates about the intercession of the saints from different denominations who doesn't believe in the intercession of the saints. Let me tell you what I'm going to discuss to you, with you today. This is the list I have been given by, uh, by Michael. We will revise it in the end to be sure that we fulfilled all the requirements. So don't worry. What is a saint? How does one attain the status of a saint? And who decides? Why do we ask for saints' intercessions? What is the difference between requesting a saint's intercession and asking God? What is the difference between requesting saints' intercessions and requesting intercession from my friends? What do other churches believe regarding saints? What is the response to the difference in their belief? With another line, please use the projector and <laughs> laptop. I'm using it now. <coughs> we'll cover it in a different way. These are the questions. We try to answer them, but in a different way. So what we are trying to discuss at the beginning, what is intercession in a very simple way? Who is the saint as the first question addressed? And then we'll use something maybe quite new for some of you today. We call it Eucharistic approach. We'll approach intercession through the Eucharist. And then some of the church father teachings about the Eucharistic approach. And then we'll discuss the objections of other denominations. Okay? First thing, the Holiness Pope Shinoda put it in a very simple way. What does it mean, intercession? It says, he says, the intercession of the saints for us are merely praying for us. They are the pleading type, which is completely different to Christ's atoning mediation. It is sanctioned by the Holy Bible, which says, pray for one another. The saints themselves asked people to pray for them. St. Paul said to the Thessalonians, pray for us. So in a very simple way, to intercede is to pray. And it is requested in the Bible. And one of the approaches to answer this question, I'm sure you heard it before, and if you Google it, you will find many answers in this way. How the Bible is telling us, we accept intercessions from those who departed. We accept intercession from one another. And vice versa. We, in the liturgy as well, we pray and intercede for those who passed away in the commemoration of the dead. So the Bible is telling us the three kinds of intercessions. But what we are going to discuss today, not the biblical verses, only because it's well known in many of the books. Of, if you will, it will find. What we discuss today, the, what we call is the Eucharistic approach. We'll know what does it mean, and then we'll go further in it. Before we go further, we'd like to know who is a saint. I shouldn't accept his intercession 
suppose that he is passed away, but is still with us. St. Paul says in Ephesians 1, chapter, verse 1 and verse 4. In verse 1 he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people, the saints. In Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, it reads, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So, before we start the intercession, we would like to know who is a saint. The one who accepted the sanctification of God. Let us again focus more on the liturgy. When we say that Eucharistic approach, the church is teaching us that every church has some major criteria to defend or to express her faith. We as Orthodox, our main and the summit of our worship is the liturgy, the Eucharist. So to understand sainthood, we can't understand it without the Eucharist. I'll tell you small parts of the liturgy and you can pick up what does it mean. You know, during the liturgy, Abuna is saying at the very end, the holies are for the holy, right? And then we all run to the communion at the end. Are you holy or not? Sorry? It's the Holy Spirit within us that makes us holy. We're not holy by ourselves. Good. That's very good. That's why, what is the answer of the congregations? Once Abuna is saying the holies are for the holy, what, what, how, we, how would you respond? Yes. You know, in Coptic, or it's in Greek, in fact, Isu ban ageyu. One is the whole holy, is the Father. One is the whole holy Son and the Holy Spirit. So we say we are not holy. But because the Son accepted to unite us with Him, to be one body with Him, then we receive this holiness by adoption and through grace. It's not something natural from us, but through the adoption by grace. If you go back, in the, in the liturgy, there's another prayer, but unfortunately, Abuna is praying it silently. He's asking, the Holy, we call it the epiclesis, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the sacraments. Abuna is asking the Holy Spirit to come upon us, priests, deacons, and congregation, and upon the bread and wine to convert them into body and blood. But in fact, it's two miracles in one. It's converting us from sinners into the holy ones, and the bread and wine into the holies. And in the end, the holies are for the holy. That's why we believe attending the whole liturgy from the beginning is a sort of sanctification for us, as it is sanctification also for the bread of wine. And in the end, we are uniting ourselves with Christ himself. So what St. Paul is telling us here, it's the reality or the calling of every one of us through grace, by adoption. Is it clear till now? Are you with me? Yes? Okay. So what does it mean, Eucharistic approach? As I said a few minutes ago, the whole church and the peak of our worship is the liturgy itself. For the first 16 centuries, the whole church was living only on Eucharist. You will come to church on Sunday. In the first four centuries, even it was secretly done, and you were just sneaking and, and trying to find a place to have a liturgy and to have the teaching in the liturgy and they go home. And this is all what we have. You don't have Bible studies, you don't have prayer meetings or anything of this sort. So when we say Eucharistic approach, it means through the meaning of the Eucharist, 
we can understand every single dogma in the church. Without having the Eucharistic approach, we are not orthodox, sorry to say. That's why it's very important to know the meaning of Eucharistic approach to everything. Of course, we can't cover the whole meaning of the Eucharistic approach now, but we'll take the whole small part which is related to the intercession of the saints. So we'll start with Eucharist and time, and then Eucharist and unity, and then the Eucharist and the commemoration of the saints. Let us take it one by one. Uh, the New Testament is using two different words, and both of them in English it's time, and in Arabic it's the same word. The first one is chronos. And the word, it has a number, of course, as you know, it's called Strong's number G5550. Every word in the Bible has a number internationally known. So what is chronos? Chronos is chronology in English. Every one of us born in a certain day, finished his primary school at a certain time, so we lived it, we can't stop it, we can't do anything with it, right? So now, today is 25th of February, <coughs> 2014. Tomorrow is 26th. We can't stop it even for a second. This is Kronos. We don't choose it, just it's running around us. That's why it's the term itself meaning time on the move, and no one can stop it at all. And I will give you one example from the Bible. It's Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. It reads, then Herod, when he had bravely called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared in the chronology. It appeared a week ago or a month ago, and no one can play with it. And this word appeared only in the New Testament 53 times. The other word is kairos. You will find it also in the Bible, time, with no difference. And the number is 2540. And here's what uh, Father Patrick is saying. It's a very strong statement, in fact. Kairos, because it is present, is an icon of eternal life. We will read and then we'll try to understand each word of it. The experience now, after all, one must be alive that did know nothing of now. Therefore, the now, the Kairos, is an icon of the life of heaven. Indeed, eternal life is an everlasting now. We'll understand word by word, don't worry. And where, in which there is no sequence, no before and after, here on earth, Kairos is time as significant and decisive when special things happen. What does it mean? Take it word by word. What does it mean? It's everlasting now. Can you tell me what does it mean? What did you get out of it? Everlasting now. It has no beginning, no end. Everlasting. But how? It's now. There is no time. Sorry? There is no time. There is no time. What else? Continually happening. happening. I'll give you one example in the literature, and then you can maybe more understanding of this kairos. You know, after, just before, the descent of the Holy Spirit in the liturgy, Abuna is saying, therefore, as we commemorate his holy passion, his resurrection from the dead, it's normal to commemorate something has been done in the past. Yes, Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago. And then he added, and his second coming, which shall be from the heavens, also how you can remember something 
is going to be in the future, whether far future or near future. This is, in a very simple way, the meaning of this kairos. We have no limitation of time. So the church is teaching us in the liturgy, if it's two hours or three hours or whatever its length, we are out of time enjoying the everlasting now. So the whole meaning of liturgy, we are not in time, we are in experiencing the eternity. That's why it's not an event in the life of Christ. Which Christ do we have in the communion? The crucified one or the risen one? Which one we have in the communion? The risen Christ or the crucified Christ? Both. Both? Only? <coughs> we have the whole life of Christ. Christ is offering his life, not an event of his life. And how we can comprehend it, if you again imagine in the liturgy, we start with, he was incarnate, right? And in few seconds, or maybe a minute, he rose again. We are enjoying the whole life as if it is now. It's not an event happened 2,000 years ago. It is the everlasting now. If you go further back in the liturgy, Oh God the Great and the Eternal, who created man, we are faith at the very beginning. And then you are saying, we are waiting his second coming. So the church is teaching us that we are living the eternity every time we come to the liturgy. We are not bound to the two hours that we are going to spend in the church. It is living the Kairos. If we understand the meaning of time, in few minutes we'll be able to, de to discern the power and the meaning. And we answer most of the questions of non-Orthodox about intercession without anything. Why? Because this meaning is not in any other church, the meaning of time. The Western theology believes that time is chronology only. That's why if you are uh, watching, for example, uh, a, a Protestant minister will say, let us go back to the cross. 2,000 years ago, Christ fulfilled everything, right? What is wrong in it? He make it chronos. Something in time happened 2,000 years ago. That's why in the time, during the time of Reformation, when there was a debate between Catholics and Protestants, they were fighting for one thing. They were saying the Catholic Church is bringing Christ and killing him, crucifying him once more in each liturgy. Why? Because the event became chronological, happened 2,000 years ago, and now we are repeating it. We don't repeat any event in the liturgy. We have one event, but it's an everlasting event. So today, we are celebrating the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the second coming of Christ, every minute in our life. It's one of the big, big differences between the Western theology and Eastern theology. That's why when we celebrate the feast of the resurrection, it's not a commemoration of the risen Christ. We are reliving the event because it's a continuous event. The church believes that we are living a continuous Pentecost. It was not 2,000 years ago. It's every minute, every second, we are in it. So if we re-understand the meaning of time, especially in the Eucharist, in the church, then everything will be totally different. St. John Chrysostom, in his homily, I think number 50, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, 
was trying to explain that we have this communion which has been done by Christ only. And in each and every Eucharist or liturgy we have, Christ himself is sanctifying the gifts as he did 2,000 years ago, but it is still eternal. He is not repeating it. And in the end of the liturgy, he himself is stretching out his hand and giving the body, his body and his blood to every one of us. So if you got this point, the meaning of time in the church <coughs> and the meaning of the difference between Kairos and Kronos, then every single thing will be totally different. Today we will share only about the intercession. Are you with me till now? You know the difference between Kairos and Kronos? Okay. I will give you one example from the Bible. Second Corinthians <coughs> 6 2. St. Paul says, <coughs> For he says, I have heard thee in, a ta in time. Which time? Was it Kronos? No. Accepted and in the day of salvation have I scourged thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The church is telling us every morning the Lord is offering you 24 hours of Kronos. Convert as much as you can into Kairos. That's why when we read the Synexarium in the church, the church is telling us those people were successful in converting Kronos into Kairos, into a time of salvation. Yes, please. Why have you got the number G25 here? It's the number of the word Kairos. Is that Yes, every single word in the New Testament or the Old Testament has a standard number. So if you say G5240, 50, everybody in the world, if you say it's Strong's number, then it's Kairos. So it's just for, for the original text, for the Hebrew or Greek, which is the original text of the Bible. So this is the meaning of time. So now if you understand that there is no time limitation, we'll start to go to the second point, the meaning of the unity in the Eucharist. I'm sure you a very well-known text to you, because we say it every liturgy, make us worthy, O our master, to partake of your holies unto the purification of our souls, our bodies, and our Li, why? That we may become one body and one spirit. Is it an option or compulsory to be like this? Hmm? Option or not? No options. Why? Because the sec second statement that and may have a share and inheritance with all the sins. If I reject the unity, I am rejecting the inheritance of the sins. If I reject the purification, I'm not going to be one, I'm not going to have the inheritance with all the sins. That's why the whole liturgy is based on the unity that we are going to attain in the end. You know, the liturgy is divided into three parts. Third part, we call it anaphora, which is ascension. Starts with what? After the creed, what we do? Or just before the creed, what we do? Sorry? Yes, we have the holy kiss. Without the holy kiss, you can't continue. Because the holy kiss, it means you are accepting the unity. Are going to be to share an, the inheritance of all the saints. So if I am in dispute or I am I hating my brother, 
So I'm going to, to go to another church. And I will be able to have the holy kiss with those people. Does it make me right? When we have the holy kiss, you are proclaiming a total forgiveness and reconciliation for the whole church worldwide. Mish, not only my own local church. So if I understand the meaning of time and the keenness of unity, we'll speak more about the unity in a few months. The church is teaching us in the liturgy itself, we have few unities, not only one, unity, different levels of unity. First of all, I'm uniting myself with the head of the body, Christ himself. Because there is a personal act between me and the head of the body, Christ himself. Then, I'm uniting myself with every single member in the church, my local church and the church worldwide. The third one, I'm uniting myself with all the saints. Why? Because now there is no limitation of time. Abraham lived 4,000 years ago, but now in this liturgy, when I am having the communion, Christ has one body, I will be with one with Abraham, one with Isaac, one with Virgin Mary, with Saint Mina, Saint Cyril, all the saints. So now the limitations of time has been broken. I am living in the Kairos, not in the Kronos. The fourth one, which might thinkable easily, I'm uniting myself with my grand-grandchildren who are going to be in Christ, who are going to be born after a few hundred years. Because again, there is no limitations or boundaries to time. So if I believe in the understanding of the church, I'm seeking the four unities with the head, with all the saints, with all the congregation worldwide, and with my grand grand generations in the future. Yes, sir. So I'm going to just put it in another way to make sure we've got it right. Yeah. Kronos is sort of the order of time, but mostly the things that has happened. So and it's happening, and you can't stop it, you can't yeah. interfere with it. Yeah. And Kairos is sort of time to come, but it's unlimited time. It's not only time to, time to come, it is yani, it's it's everlasting now. Now I'm going to be with Abraham, who died for thousands of I'm going with my grand-grandchild, who is going to be born after 500 years. I'm uniting myself with the head, the eternal Christ. And so on. This is the meaning of the Kairos in the church. Okay? Let me share with you one quote by Saint Cyril of Alexandria, our father. He's the 21st Pope of Alexandria. He's saying, although we are divided by distinctive personalities, which we are sure of it, I mean the special personalities of each of us, by which each one is either Peter or John, and another Thomas or Masuyet, we all become the same body, same body in Christ. How? Through this unity of the Eucharist. Because we were nourished from one flesh, and because we were sealed to unified through the Holy Spirit, as Christ is invisible, for he is no way divided, we are all one in him. A very famous fraction by Saint Cyril the Great is saying, we are saying at the very end of this fraction, as you with your Father and the Holy Spirit are one, make us also one. As you prayed, of course, in John chapter 17, that they might be one as we are one, we seek it and we have its fullness in the Eucharist once more. So if we think for a minute now, 
we said the saint at the beginning who is everyone who is sanctified in Christ through the grace of the work of the Holy Spirit. So if now I am in the liturgy, I am one with Saint Mina and Saint George and all the saints. Are they too far from us? Or they came closer to us in such oneness in the Eucharist? So all the, most of the questions that we have argument with non-Orthodox will vanish. But why? Because we have the meaning of the Kairos and the meaning of the Eucharist. Without it, we are in a dilemma. We try to bring a verse, and we are trying to bring another verse. Of course, we have many verses. That's why I told you I'm using today only the Eucharistic approach. We have many verses to say that there is many evidence that people were interested in for one another. But this one, what we practice every day in the church, our understanding to the Eucharist, our understanding to the unity of the one body, it makes it much easier and more real to every one of us. So we start with the intercession of the saints themselves. If now I'm going to be one with Saint Paul, and during the liturgy I was talking or praying and asking him to help me in whatever I have. Is he closer enough? Is he able to communicate? You'll find great silly questions, let me say it, from some people. Are they able to listen? Are they able to pray? Are they are they alive or not? Are there a reality in this oneness, in the Eucharist, or just you are deceiving ourselves? So once we recognize and enjoy this real unity in the Eucharist, we'll find everything. The question itself vanishes. It has no roots, it has nothing in it. Let me continue with Saint Cyril. Let's continue accordingly. He said to his father in heaven that they may be one just as we are one just as we are one. Very nice word, the word as. Believe it or not, happened or appeared in the Gospel of St. John only 28 times. And every time is showing something between him and the Father of the Trinity, and then as and conveying something to us. By all means, what he has with the Father is by nature. What we have is by grace through adoption. But every time he's saying as, if you have time during this Lent, just read the whole <laughs> Gospel of St. John and find out these 28 mysteries. Something between the Trinity and offered to us by grace through adoption. 28 grace or source of grace offered to every one of us. It is clear from, that, from this that through being in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, we are all one according to the body and according to the Spirit. So once we recognize this reality, I will find that prayer is very powerful. So if now I believe in the prayer of everyone, I can ask my friend at school as one of the questions, what is the difference between asking the saints and asking a friend or my mom or my dad? The same body, but some of us, or all of us still in this flesh, still in the weakness of the body. But those who have ended their <coughs> warfare are more closer and even more free. And even as St. James said, uh, a prayer, a fervent prayer of a righteous man avails more. So we believe in, now in the oneness. I believe in the prayer of each and every one of you. But how much more those who have ended their warfare in a victorious way, like any saint or martyr 
or a church father. So all of them are working in the same way, but with a different power from each one of them. Let me share the same verse nearly mentioned three times in Matthew, Mark, Luke. I am sharing only the verse in Matthew. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Why again? Because Christ has one body, and his body is alive. That's why in the church we'll find the icon status is facing the believers. To say we are two choirs. We don't use the term struggling church and victorious church. This term invented by the Catholic Church during the Crusades, but we, it's not originally in our church. We believe it's one church facing each other. We use more visible and invisible. Some arguing about it, but still more accurate than struggling church and victorious church. We are facing each other. Two choirs, the heavenly choir, and we are sharing with them in the same thing. As exactly we do in the Great Friday, we start from the 12th hour saying Soktatigong from the, inside the altar, and the second from outside the altar. Say heaven and earth are reconciled. They are singing the same song from now on. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching, because we still don't believe that this oneness and there is one body to Christ. Let me share also with you what Origen said. Origen lived in the end of the second century, beginning of the third century. But not the high priest Christ alone prays for those who pray sincerely, but also the angels, as also the souls of the saints who have already fallen asleep. On his, in his book, on prayer, book two. So what we are believe, what we are believing in the church, is not something recently believed. The church has a very simple rule to find out if this teaching is true and original or not. From the fourth century, the church father decided to test any belief, find out if it's always, everywhere, by everyone. So. We have, I'm quoting now Origen. We have a very famous book called The Shepherd by Hermas, was written in the end of the first century, beginning of the second century. And we have unceased succession for this teaching. So this teaching of believing that the prayer of the saints are true and real is always <coughs> everywhere by everyone in the whole Christian world at that time. If some churches later deviated from it, it's up to them. But what we believe was always, everywhere, by everyone. And why? Because from day one, the church believed in the Eucharist, the oneness of the body. And from day one, the church believes it's the proper meaning of Kairos, not Kronos. One more quote by St. Gregory of, this St. Gregory is the origin of Nizianzen. Yes, I am well assured that my father's intercession, his biological father, is of more avail now than was his instructions in former days after his departure. Since he is close to God, now that he has shaken off his bodily fetters and freed his mind from the clay that obscured it and holds conversation naked with the nakedness of the prime and purest mind. In his oration 18.4. 
So again, Saint Gregory of Nazianz lived at the end of the fourth century, beginning of the fourth. I think he died 389 or 79. So the church was believing in it. And this also will answer another question people also debate about it very much. Why are we praying for those who are dead? Maybe my grandfather or my grandmother or whoever it is, for the same cause. And again, if you look to our church prayer, for those who reposed in the face of Christ. So we are sure it's a prayer for those who repose, live in a living face in Christ, which means they are one in the same body. That's why when we go to celebrate the liturgy, we are mentioning them as not in Kronos. In Kronos, they died 10 years ago or 15 years ago or more. But in Kairos, they are living with us, and we are going to be united with them now in the liturgy. Objections. We will read the objections, and I would like you to answer from the Eucharistic approach. Is it answered or not? The first objection, do we need another mediator? This is one of the objections, because there is a very famous verse in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind is a man, Christ Jesus. How we can answer this objection? It doesn't hurt to have Sorry? more mediators. So she's saying we can have more mediators. What else? I find the object good. Sorry. As a problem, but in Christ, then mm. we have just one mediator. Who is Christ? Christ. Okay. Yes, Armas? I slightly object with the word mediator, but some people I think might understand it in their own way. Mm -hmm. We're all, I mean, as, as, as you said, uh, we're all one body in Christ, so yes. they are not really mediators. Yes. So we all pray for each other when I say for someone. So this is a verse, the very famous verse that used by Protestants say, here is a verse saying there is no intercession. We have one mediator. Yeah. How we can answer? I thought prophets were like Isaiah was a mediator because he brought, he interpreted God's words to people as opposed to like a high priest who actually presents people's words to God. Yes. So. What else? The fact the verse has nothing to do with intercession at all. Mm -hmm. But it's always used against intercession. Why? St. <coughs> Timothy was answering people who were talking about a heresy called Gnosticism. Have you heard this word before? Gnosticism. In Arabic, the Gnostics believed in many different mediators. They called ions. So when, because they believe that the material and the physical body is same. Everything materialistic is sinful. So they believed when I live a virtuous life, I'll be with a mediator, united with a mediator who is higher than me, who has more spirit and less body. And when I'm getting better, until I will re reach a point in which I will be only a spirit, to be the higher medium. So they believe that Christ, not the only savior, not the only mediator, is one of many mediators. That's why St. Paul was telling him there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. So he's not talking about intercession at all. He's refuting the Gnostic idea of 
different mediators. And even to understand the world, as we know, it's again ex a very simple explanation of the incarnation. As Job said in Job chapter 33, verse 9, we are looking for a mediator to put his hands on both of us, on heaven and earth, a full God and full man. And there is only one. It is the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, who accepted to become a man for us. That's why we say it in the creed, who for us and for our salvation became man. He was not in need to be a man. So he's a mediator by choice. Not for his need, but for my own personal need. And if you remember when we say it in the creed, who for us and for our salvation became man, and we reach to the point of we are waiting his second coming. As if all his life was for my own salvation. Shakira Sangreli of Nessai was something very interesting. The incarnation did not add anything to the person of the Son of God. And without it, he was not missing anything. The incarnation was done for my own personal salvation. Because some people said, so the Son of God was missing something, which is the incarnation, then he got it in time. No. The Son of God is a full person in the Trinity without the incarnation. The incarnation was done for our own sake and for our own salvation. Second objection, do saints hear us? Now after understanding the Kairos and the meaning of he is the God of the living, does, does this objection exist anymore? Do saints responsible for our repentance? We all always say in Al-Hitaniyat, uh, uh, through the prayers of whoever he is, grant us the forgiveness of our sins. And people always object. How come? Are they responsible for our repentance or no? <laughs> no? It's yes. Why? St. John Christom says it is not a Christian who is not keen and working and interceding for the whole creation, not only for human beings. Of course, I am responsible for my own repentance, but without the help of the body, I have nothing. And I can say, I don't care about Hany, or I don't care about Michael. Then there is something wrong in my understanding to the unity of the body. Every single member in the body is responsible for the whole body. And when God created Adam and Eve at the beginning, he gave him the authority over the whole creation. Again, back to the liturgy. Why do we intercede, all of us, priests, deacon, and congregation, for the plants and animals? Because we are responsible. Why we are praying for the Pope? We are responsible towards him, and he is responsible for us. It's always mutual responsibility. I can say he is the priest or the bishop or the Pope. Let him save himself. No, I am responsible for his repentance. And he is responsible for me. That's why the mutual responsibility makes the oneness more clear and more obvious every minute. So I can't say I don't care. I'm not bothered with him or with her. This is the meaning of the real oneness. Yes. Just to clarify the word responsible here, because 
they're not responsible for our sins, hence they actually no. repenting on our behalf. No, they're they not doing that, but they are, they've got the duty of love. And that's to intercede for us. Intercede, yes. that's what we do for each and other. And to encourage us. As we read at the beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, it's a sort of encouragement. It's a real oneness. And if you imagine you in your own small family, if you are three, four persons, and someone has a problem, and out of a human love, I can say even a divine love, you are too much taken to it. So how much more if this body is the body of Christ, which is led by the Holy Spirit, which is Christ uniting every day and every moment. So our responsibility is for the whole world not only even for the believers in my church. A Christian man is responsible for the salvation of the whole world. Doesn't mean that he has to go and push them, but at least he's interceding for the whole world. It's okay. You Thank you. <laughs> okay. So do we need their intercessions? We deny the body of Christ if we say no. And we deny the eternal body of Christ if we say, we, I am looking for the intercessions only because you are alive, you know me, you don't know me anymore. So it's very important to see it's not a matter of an option. I can ask for the intercession or not. I am losing a lot. And I am disturbing my mind for the every single teaching in the church. Is it right to ignore the intercession of the saints? As you said, I am a loser of the whole meaning of the church, not only of someone to pray with me or for me in my exams or my hard times. No, I am losing the unity of the church. I am living in Kronos, I'm not in Kairos, and everything is messed up in my life. Are we praying for the saints? Some people accusing the Catholic Church that they are praying to the saints. We never pray to any saint. We are asking them to intercede for us, to pray with us, as we said at the beginning, the quotation of, of Bob Shenouda, intercession is a prayer. And because I believe they are alive, and as we heard, St. Gregory of uh, the Nizanians, he was saying, they are closer to God, and they have more pure mind standing before God, we seek their intercession. And here is the list of Michael again. Just have a look <laughs> if we don't cover anybody. What is a saint? I think you answered it. How does one attain the status of the saint and who decides? <coughs> Unfortunately, we as Coptic Orthodox Church, we don't have a rule. It's a decision of the Holy Senate. How do you do it? They, don't, they didn't publicize anything now, till now to say we are making it in such a way. But mostly, or most of the church fathers or most of the saints, were made saints before the canonization even. You know, all of us, we believe in the sainthood of saints, Bob Carlos VI. And just it's six months ago, seven months ago, the, the, the Holy Synod canonized him as a saint. Because their miracles and their teachings and their signs were well known to people and accepted by all the majority before declaring them. Of course, we can't use or build churches upon with their names, after their names, or use them in the prayers, unless the canonization of the church, but they were made saints by their own deeds after their death or during their life. What's the difference between requesting a saint's intercession and asking God? Can you answer this question, please? What's the difference between both of them? Not 
asking a saint, uh, requesting a saint is asking someone to pray for us, asking God, asking God directly. Mm. So there is really no difference. Yes. You know, the saint is going to say the same prayer to God. I am asking God to help me in my exam and asking Hani to pray for me for my exam and asking St. Paul to pray for It's the same thing. We have no difference. But we believe that those who are already finished their warfare, they are closer, they are more powerful. Because when I ask you, still you are in, under your own weakness. What is the difference between requesting saints intercession and requesting intercession from my friends? It's the same thing. What do other churches believe regarding saints? What is the response to the difference in their belief? Is it clear, the last one? Did you answer it or not? The difference between our belief and other churches. The major idea, they rejected the Eucharist as real presence, and the other way saying we are living in Kronos, not in Kairos. <coughs> For them, the event was 2,000 years ago. For us, the event is still on. A very simple statement. All the acts of Christ were eternal in the economy of God, which is in the mind of God before creation. Revealed in time, 2,000 years ago, and remained eternal. I'll say it again. All the acts of Christ, every single thing in his life, was eternal in the economy of God, in the economy of the Holy Trinity, revealed in time 2,000 years ago, and remained eternal. So nothing of the acts of Christ expired. Everything will remain eternal. OK? Yes, Mike. So the point before, you know when you're saying there's no difference as well about um, requesting the session between the saints and your friends? Yes. Then what does it say? Does it also work by the same principle of Kairos, that potentially we all are saints? So we all Yes, but again, as you said, you know, someone like St. Anthony who tried for 70 years, and now he's too close to the Lord, definitely his prayer is more powerful than someone who's still here just knowing Christ. So it's the same kind of prayer with different power in it. Okay?